Welcome to another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church. I just felt the stirring of the Spirit of God here tonight. I feel the Lord's going to call and renew the call of His Spirit over some people's lives here tonight. The Holy Spirit has called you to live for His kingdom, not just for your own purpose and fulfillment. There's something happens when you live for the kingdom of God that is so rich and so fulfilling and it just captivates your heart. And nothing in this world will satisfy like living out your life and your relationships and your, your career and your workplace for the kingdom of God. I just feel He's calling us to live passionately for Him. I want to thank Pastor Paul for coming. And this morning we had a... Uh, 20 leaders got together. We had a, a great breakfast and some great words of encouragement to leaders so that we can live and fulfill our purpose in our lives. And so this is our first Easter encounter. Started last night and tonight. And, and tomorrow night, Pastor Paul will be here again. And I just know we're sowing something in the Spirit for our city. And I, I watched the thousands of people driving and walking and playing and sailing. And I thought, God... We need to have such a move of God that when they come to Harvey Bay, a connection with Jesus and a visit to our church and, and a connection is going to be part of their journey here. That's what I dream for and long for. The thousands encounter the presence of Jesus because God's given us an open heaven, folks, over your life and over our church and community. He showed me the living Christ standing over our church 18 months ago and over our city and pouring out liquid love and living water over our city. And I know that God's grace is here to, to rescue and reach and love so many people. And He does it through you and I, and He does it through our corporate praise. He does it through our deeds of kindness, and He does it through our words, and He does it through our relationships and families. And I know that God is stirring our hearts. Lord, I just thank You for speaking to us right now. Let the gifts and the fruit of your spirit flow. Let the living word of God transform us. In Jesus' name. Let's give Pastor Paul a great welcome. He comes to share. Thank you. Hallelujah. Come on, let's give God a hand of praise. He's worthy. Fantastic. We give you glory, Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen. You can take your seats tonight. Hey, it's great to be back again. How good was the weather today? You guys are living in paradise. Went out in the pier, there's fish in the harbour, there's sailing boats, and uh, it's going to be hard to get up at 5 a.m. tomorrow to get back to my church. Hey, but it's seriously good, and, and I want to just encourage you, maybe you weren't here last night, but I really just shared a bit last night with Pastor and the team that, you know, I really believe that this is not just another thing that's happening, that God wants us to start something that's a seed for the future. Yeah that people would become within this church, but also from other places and be refreshed in God's presence. And what a great place to be refreshed. You've got beautiful things you can do during the day and come out at night and be in God's presence and be in God's word. And, uh, and I also believe that's a call upon Pastor Ross and Mary, that they are people that just give out to bless others. And, uh, and, uh, and it's like that word was an oasis, that this is going to be a more of an oasis, not just uh, for the families, but people will come for a season to be refurbished, refilled, refreshed and encouraged and go out strengthened for the next season of their life. And, um, 
Uh, I love what Pastor Peter said before. He said, you know, the joy of the Lord is our strength because most of our society is focused on the pursuit of happiness. And happiness is great. I love to be happy. Come on, who likes to be happy? But who knows happiness can turn into sadness in a moment. Happiness is just an emotion. And sometimes you're happy and then something bad can happen. You can be sad. You can't base your life on uh, the emotion of happiness. What we need to realize is that the joy of the Lord is our strength. Joy is something different. Joy is something supernatural that can come from you. You can be in the middle of the worst storm of your life, but the joy of the Lord can be your strength. And it's such an important thing. We're going to come around God's word tonight. Let's just, uh, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you tonight for the opportunity to hear your word. Lord, I pray this earthen vessel would have your treasure within this jar of clay. Lord, I pray that the words would not be the vain repetitions of a man tonight, but you would take this word, a supernatural seed, and plant it in people's hearts like an arrow reaching the target that would have tenfold return from your seed. Lord, we'd go out of these doors different because we encountered your presence in worship. We'd go out of these doors different tonight because we encountered your word preached in faith. We'd go out of this word different tonight because we encountered the encouragement of fellow believers. And everybody said, you know, I believe Bayside Church is going to be a house of healing. A house of salvation, a house of hope, a house of promise, a house of faith, a house of miracles. I love it when God does miracles, a house of grace, a house of vision, a house of worship, a house of prayer, a house of transformation, amen, a house of His Word being spoken boldly, a house of destiny, a house of discipleship, a house of provision, a house of God's power, a house of opportunity, a house where the next generation is raised, a house of mission and a house of mercy. I believe this is God's house, but also it's your house. This is your house where God has planted you. And uh, and I just believe, you know, uh, that... Praise God. I remember, was it this year or last year celebrated 75 years? Last year. What a great moment. We need to look back upon the past to thank God for His promises. But the past needs to not to continue to look back, but it just propel us with faith into the future seasons that God has for us. Many years ago, in fact, you heard me share last night, we've got a church in Mumbai. God's just doing a great work in there and one of our pastors and his three kids, uh, they went over the 18 months ago and God's just been doing, they've seen miracles and salvations and healings and just some great things happening and I've been going to India all my life. My, my, my mother-in-law was born in India, raised in India, um, my wife's grandparents were missionaries in Tibet, Nepal and Darjeeling, North India for 50 years. Um, an incredible thing. They were first in Tibet, and I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, Seven Years in Tibet, but they were serving as missionaries there. And for three nights in a row, Joe's granddad had a dream that the Chinese army invaded and they killed off all the missionaries. And after the third night, he took it quite seriously. And so he shared with some of his missionary friends, and he said about eight of them that were in this grouping, four of them said, yeah, let's leave, and four said, we're going to stay. And the next week, for two weeks, they, they, they hiked over the Himalayan ranges into Nepal and literally two weeks later the Chinese army invaded and uh, assassinated and murdered all the missionaries working in that place in Lhasa there and, and for the next and so I've always had this passion for India I love India it's an incredible nation of 1.2 billion people and one time I had uh, took a team of year 12 students um, instead of going to schoolies, I said to them, well, yeah, let's go to and do a mission trip. Let's do something purposeful and have a party. And so we saved up all year. We took these 17 year 12 students at the end of their graduation to India. And, and I don't know about you, but I love curry. But when you eat curry for breakfast, lunch and dinner every day, there's a limit you get to in your life. 
And, uh, you know, you start sweating curry, you start smelling like curry, you dream about curry, and then you wash it down with warm Coca-Cola. And so, uh, you know, and so, uh, but after 17 days with these young people also, I was getting a little bit ready to hand them back to their parents. It was in December. I love teenagers, but there's a point of love that doesn't go any further. And it was about the second last day, and I was just saying, Lord, I want to go home. I wasn't feeling that great. And, and we were supposed to have a rest day on the second last day and go do some tourist stuff. And I was thinking I could just sleep a little bit. And, and the pastor comes and says, oh, Pastor Paul, Pastor Paul, we've just had a call from this pastor. He said, if you've got a spare day, would you take the team and minister at his church? And, and my flesh was going, no, I want to sleep. But my spirit said, yeah, we'll go out there. And we got on the minibus and we just drove to this little village of about a million people. Because in India, that's a small village, you know. You're driving out there in the minibus and everything within me is going, I just want to go home. I'm sick of the traffic. I'm sick of the noise. I want real steak um, and all the things you're dreaming of. And we get, and you know, who's ever been to a place and you feel the atmosphere? You can walk into a home and go, wow, this is joy in this house, it's beautiful. And you can go into a place and go, oh, it's a bit tense around here. The atmospheres are real. And so as we began to drive into this uh, village of a million people, we felt the atmosphere. And it was a heavy atmosphere, it was an oppressive atmosphere, it was a scary. And I'm thinking, oh Lord, I've got to preach here tonight. And, and we drove up with a minibus and sure enough, here we were. And, and the, the church was about the same size as this building. It was just a concrete slab, no walls or roof. And that was it. And, uh, and I knew it was going to be an interesting night when the band was rehearsing and, and they sent a 12-year-old child up the, the telegraph pole to, to click into the power 240 volts directly with alligator clips. I knew it was going to be an interesting meeting when the drummer got off stage, walked up to a tree, broke off two branches about the same size, you beauty, new drumsticks. And so, and, but the atmosphere was, and so the night came, it was about 7pm at night and all the women sat in the beautiful saris on this side and all the men sat on this side and there was just no joy in this church. There was a worship team up the front and we'd been to some incredible church. We went to one church in Chennai, 30,000 people, some of the most amazing worship I've ever been to, but this wasn't that church. There was three singers on the stage and they were all singing in a different dialect. It was awful. I don't know what key though, and they were all over that keyboard. They were, and there was different people, and there was songs were singing different keys, and it was just like purgatory. And it was going on forever. And I'm going, Lord, I've got to preach in this place. I was getting a headache. And I was like, Lord, help us. And please come back, Holy Spirit. I know you've gone for a coffee, but please come back to this church. And, uh, and it went on for a fair while. And then finally, at the end of the worship, the pastor goes, we're so... I was thinking, praise God, it's finished. And the pastor goes, we've got some friends from Australia. They're going to come and sing a song. And then Pastor Paul's going to minister. And the interpreter said all to the crowd. And so we get up on the stage and we've got our um, eight or nine or 16 guys up there. And one guy, he's got a guitar and... At least he knows four chords and can sing in tune. And so we start singing on the stage and we're worshipping. And as I've got my eyes closed, there's nobody clapping, nobody raising their hands, hardly anybody singing. It's just oppression. It's just heaviness. And I'm like, Lord, what are you going to do? You're going to give me a key here, Holy Spirit. This is the deadest church service I've ever been in my life. Even deader than the one I did at the cemetery. This is dead here. And so sure enough, and as I had my eyes closed, the local national musicians got so excited about the song we were singing, they jumped up on stage and started playing with us. And it was awful. Gabriel had his ears blocked. It was just so bad. It was just the most awful sound you've ever heard. And I'm going, Lord, please help me. Lord, please help me. And I reckon I had a word of wisdom. And I said through the interpreter, said, the Lord right now wants us to stop the music and sing a cappella. And as we sang without the musicians, I gained my thoughts. And I said to the Lord, and I, and I felt then at that moment, God gave me a word of knowledge. And I stopped the singing a cappella. 
And I said, there's somebody here, in fact, you're not of the Christian faith. In fact, you could be persecuted or even beaten or killed for coming to this church tonight. But your husband's been sick. He had a work accident. He got four teenage sons. You can't pay the rent. You're going to be thrown out in the street and there's no social security in India. And, and you went to your local mullah and he could not help you. And at the risk of your own life, you thought, maybe those followers of Jesus can help me. And so you've come to this church tonight. God's heard your cry. Jesus wants to meet you and meet you at your point. I said, if that's you, would you raise your hand? And right up the back of the auditorium, a little lady about four foot two in a full burqa raised her hand. And she began, I said, would you come to the front? We want to help you today. As she came to the front, something began to change in the atmosphere. As she began to walk to the front, people began to stand up and clap and shout. And I didn't realize that they'd been severely persecuted for their faith in this village. I didn't realize that many, many times the elders and the pastor have been beaten for being followers of Christ. In fact, one of the elders had been assassinated because he was a Christian and he'd stood up for Christ in the city. And they'd never seen a salvation for over five years because of the persecution that they'd had in this village. And sure enough, as she came to the front, the atmosphere began to change. People began to clap and they began to stamp their feet. They began to wolf whistle. They began to shout hallelujah. And the place suddenly become alive. And as she hit the front of the altar, the presence of Jesus so impacted, she began to weep uncontrollably before the Lord as the pastor led her to Jesus in the local dialect. The next Sunday, she brought her husband and her four sons and they all got saved in that place. That woman had faith. That woman had so much faith. She could have been beaten, broken, imprisoned, or even killed for coming to the doors of the Christ, but she didn't care. And not only did her faith change her destiny, her faith changed those around her, her family's destiny. I want to encourage you today that one of the most essential elements of the Christian walk is faith. We need to learn how to exercise faith. God wants every person in this room to be a leader, a person, a man, a woman of faith. Faith is the currency of heaven. Faith is the collateral of the supernatural. Faith, not good works, produces miracles. Good works are important. They gain us credibility here on earth with the saved and unsaved alike. But faith releases God's miracle power and provision. The Bible says faith, even the small as a mustard seed, is incredibly powerful and touches the heart of God. Hebrews 11.6 tells us, without worship, without the Word, no, no, without prayer, no, without faith, it is impossible to please God. James chapter 2, verses 14 to 18 speaks that our good works, our good deeds will be evidence of our faith. Faith and good works are important. One is out of balance without the other. But let me declare this tonight, church. Faith is the currency and the collateral of heaven that pleases the heart of God. Christianity is a faith walk. God's going to always come to you, whether you've been a Christian one day or a Christian 40 years. He's always going to come and continually again and again and ask you to take new steps of faith. He's going to come to this church. doesn't matter whether it's one year old or 75 years old. And as a local church body, he's going to continue to come and knock on the door of your heart and say, Hey, take a new step of faith. God loves you too much for you to stay the same. He's going to challenge you. Because otherwise we get stuck on a spiritual plateau. Some, so many Christians just stop at getting saved. And praise God for salvation, you're going to get to heaven. But let's do something for God while we're here on earth. 
the whole Christian walk is about taking steps of faith. If you cast your mind back, maybe you remember the first time you ever came to church. It took an incredible step of faith. Someone at work was witnessing to you, I'm not going to that church, there are a bunch of happy, clappy, crazy people there. Or maybe one of your relatives was saying, I'm not going to that building, and by faith you found yourself in a car. And by faith you came to church. And by faith someone preached the gospel. And by faith you raised your hand. And by faith you confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart. And by faith you were born again. What an incredible thing. It was all by faith, not of your own works. For you are the gift. It's a gift of grace of God in your life. And then someone said, that's fantastic. And you can stay there and you can live at that point of salvation for the rest of life. But God comes again through other Christians and say, hey, it's so good you're born again. But have you ever been baptized in water by full immersion? And by faith, you found yourself in front of the church dressed like an angel standing in a pool of water. And by faith, someone baptized you, which means the death and then the resurrection of Christ. And by faith, Faith, you stepped into a new part of your walk with Jesus. It was awesome. And you can then stick, if you want, on that level, on that plateau for the rest of your life. But then someone said, that's so good that you're born again. That's so good you've been baptized in water. But have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues, the evidence of the Spirit in your life? And you thought, no, I haven't. And by faith, you prayed that prayer. And by faith, you received that gift. And by faith, you began to seek in tongues. And by faith, your Christian walk began to grow to a new level in God. Maybe you came from a more traditional background of church. Maybe you grew up in a more traditional denomination. And you thought, why are these people getting so excited when they praise and worship? I just like to praise and worship in my own way. I'm not an outgoing person. I like my own dignified praise and worship. That's my personality. I'm not one of those crazy outgoing types. I just like to worship God quietly and somberly. But then you began to read the Bible and realize it wasn't a personality thing or a denominational thing. It says, Clap ye hands, all ye people. It says it in here. Lifting holy hands to him. Shouting unto God with a voice of triumph. And suddenly you realize, well, this is not a personality thing or a churching. This is a biblical principle thing. It's all through the word of God. And you thought, well, I'm not really, I'm a bit nervous about that. What happens if I raise my hands? Everyone's looking at you. No one's looking at you. They're looking at the screen. And and you'll get all self-conscious about it. You thought, I don't know, I'll do it secretly. And then he thought, forget about it. I'm just going to step out, see what God's out. I'm going to clap my hands even if I'm out of tune. I'm going to raise my hands. And you stepped into a new experience in your relationship with God. See, the Christian walk is always about taking new steps of faith. Maybe the first time God challenged you to give in the tithes and offerings, that was a huge step of faith. You opened up your wallet and moths flew out. When you put that first note in the bucket, man, you had that $5 note so tight, the queen had tears in her eyes. You just dropped her into the bucket, but you took a new step of faith. I want to encourage you, don't get stuck on a spiritual plateau in this April 2017 as a Christian. What new steps of faith is God asking you to take? What new steps of faith as a church community is God going to ask you to take? I could go on and on. But the walk of faith is taking steps of faith. God loves you too much for you to stay the same. God is always coming to me personally, coming to our local church and asking us to take new steps of faith. I keep saying to my people at church, go to another church if you don't want to be stretched. Go to another church if you don't want to be challenged. Because in this church, we're going to walk by faith. Tonight, I quickly want to give you a couple of aspects, a couple of attributes of faith that are going to help us. As we walk in 2007, if you're taking notes, write this down. Number one, 
attributes of faith. We need to have desperate faith. That lady in India had desperate faith. She'd come to a point so low, she had no other option. She thought, maybe those followers of Christ can help me. And with a seeking heart, God met her at a point of need. Some of the greatest prayers I've prayed are not that fancy. Some of the greatest prayers I've prayed are not that eloquent or not that theologically correct. They go like this, help! God, I don't know what I'm doing. Parenting, who invented that? And you're crying out to God from your heart. We have to all be, you know, in the Western culture, I've got to have it together, I've got to do this course and this thing, and you know, blah, 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 blah. But sometimes it's just a heart saying, God, I need you. I'm desperate for you. I said this last night, God doesn't respond to need. God responds to faith and hunger. Oh, I want to encourage you today, we've got to have desperate faith. There's Bartimaeus on the side of the road, and he'd been blind in the same position all his life. I'm amazed. Script, the scriptures are so amazing. They call him blind Bartimaeus. Because the world always tries to define you from your shortcomings, not from your strengths. Blind Bartimaeus, everyone else is moving on in his life, but he's in the same spot all his life. Then Jesus is coming on the road, but he's heard that Jesus has raised the dead, spoken the good news, healed the sick. And he thinks, maybe, maybe he can touch me, maybe he can change me. And I love this because the crowd was so huge and the voices were so, the thronging of the crowd was even heard before Jesus arrived because the crowd of thousands always followed him. And then he starts singing, Son of David! Have mercy upon me. And the crowd's like, shut up, Bartimaeus. He's got no desire to speak to you. You're just a blind man. And he shouts again, son of David, have mercy upon me. And I love that because you think of all the voices that are crying out to Jesus. Jesus, heal my baby. Jesus, would you touch me? I'm sick. And he hears one voice through the crowd. And he walks to that desperate voice. It says, what is it that you want? He said, Lord, I want my sight. He said, your faith has made you well. I want to stir you up a bit tonight. Sometimes we pray a prayer, we're part of an instant generation, we get disappointed because it's not like McDonald's in the drive-thru, we didn't get an answer straight away. Sometimes we've got to be a little bit more persistent, a little bit more desperate. Like John Knox who declared, God, give me Scotland or I'm going to die. Or Jacob who wrestled God all night and said, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. And he walked from a limp from that point onwards. You know, sometimes we've got to get a little bit more desperate. And not just go with the flow of the circumstances of life or the attacks of the enemy that come against us. We've got to rise up. We've got to get to turn. We've got to get a little bit more desperate. The second attribute of faith is this. We need to have servant faith. Servant faith. The world, when we serve in the world, it gives us credibility to speak to the world. You know, I love the story in Mark chapter 2. It's one of my most favorite stories about the five guys used to hang out. And one of them was a cripple doesn't say how he became a cripple so I like to use my imagination there's four little Palestinian boys there kept playing soccer kicking the ball around and one kid kicks the ball in the street and he runs out the street bang gets hit by a camel now he's a cripple four finger the friend of friend then so and um and so he's been a cripple all his life and so sometimes he's in the synagogue he's been in the prayer line and other times but they grew up together over time and now Jesus comes to the area and they hear on the grapevine that he's been healing the sick he's been raising the dead and and they go to this cripple go, hey, man, we want to take you to Jesus. No, don't make, it, don't make a fuss of me. I've been to the healing line before. I've been to the miracle crusades. Just, he's got no faith to believe for himself. But four friends go, no, man, we love you. We're going to serve you with our faith. And they pick him up on a stretcher. And they walk kilometers and kilometers in the heat and the dirt 
to the next city where he was. There was such a big crowd around the house where Jesus was, they couldn't even get into the house. They tried bribing their way in, but they must have been Aussies because they got on the roof of the crowbar and a shovel and they started vandalising the place. And they dug a big hole and then they dripped, they, 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 they lowered the crippled man to the feet of Jesus. And Jesus said to him, take up your bed, rise up and walk. He had no faith to believe for himself, but his friends served him with their faith and brought him to the feet of Jesus so that he could be healed. Someone had faith to see you find Christ and bring you to the feet of Christ. You see, there's people outside of the four walls of this church. They're not crippled in body, but they're crippled and they're bound up in their spirits. And they have not even got the faith to get in their car and drive to this church and walk in the four doors of this church. We're going to have to pick them up and carry them to the feet of Jesus, the house of God. We need to serve this community with our faith. They, they haven't got the faith to know that Christ, they, they haven't even got the, we've got to serve them with our faith and bring them to the house. We need to carry them to the house of Jesus. You know, my dad this year is turning 73 and he got saved when he was 34. And, and uh, my dad's never led anyone personally to the Lord. But I reckon he's brought over 60 people to church since the day he got saved. And they've got saved to church. He ran a small business in a regional town and he'd just be pastoring the community. Talking to people as he sells stuff and serving them. And, and then someone would be having a marriage problem. Ah, oh, you need to come to church. No, 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 I need to go to church. And he'd just keep working on them. The next thing he said, well, if you come to church, we'll take you out for lunch. And sure enough, oh, we don't want to do that. My car's playing. I'll pick you up bring you to church and take you out to lunch he's done this for 40 something years he's just gone with people served them with his faith brought them to the feet of Jesus and Jesus has raised them up he's never personally led someone in the sinner's prayer but he's continually brought dozens and dozens of people to the house of God served them with his faith and there in the house of God they've been risen up and saved in that place we also as Christians need to serve other brothers and sisters of faith with our faith we need to come alongside the sick and the bereaved and the brokenhearted and we need to carry others you know sometimes Christians are going through such storms in their life it's just hard for them to keep on believing and we've got to stand with them we've got to lift up their hands maybe they're going through cancer or maybe they've lost a loved one um, who's died and they're grieving so broken in their hearts and they just haven't got the faith that's when we as brothers and sisters in the church need to pick up our family and carry them again to the feet of Jesus so that he can raise them up we haven't got much strength in ourselves but we can carry them with our faith and bring them to a place where the Lord himself would revive them you know there's people here today and you're thinking this weekend man that person needs to be in this meeting man that person needs to be well don't just think about it pick them up and bring them to the feet of Jesus and serve others with your faith everyone say amen. amen third thing is this third attribute of faith I hope you're getting something out of this tonight is we need to have obedient and courageous faith. I'm going to read a uh, chapter from the uh, passage from the Gospel of Mark. I love the Gospel of Mark because it's short, 16 chapters. Luke, he talks forever. Matthew's the same. Uh, I reckon, I reckon that Mark must have been a South African because he's direct and straight to the point. And uh, Mark chapter 3, verse 1 says this, And he entered the synagogue again, and there was a man there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. 
And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he looked around at them, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And as he stretched it out, his hand was restored as whole as the other. I love this story. It's an amazing story. Here is this man. I don't know about you. Who's got someone, a friend who's got some kind of disability? Oh, I've got a few guys in our church that got disabilities. One lady, she's one of the most sweet ladies in our church. At 21 years of age, she was a victim of domestic violence with a boyfriend. He shot her in the back with a shotgun and dumped her in the, in the Royal Brisbane Hospital car park. And she's been a quadriplegic ever since. But she is the most awesome lady in our church. She's been in our church for 26 years. She's one of the, always at the prayer meetings. But you know what, Sherilyn? She doesn't want to be treated different than anyone else. She doesn't want to be defined by her disability. She wants to be defined by her relationship with Jesus. I remember years ago going to um, uh, a city to do a youth camp and a family camp. And I've been emailing this pastor. And I get off the airplane and I, I walk out on the tarmac and I, I in the, get my luggage and I go... I meet the pastor, and his name's David. I go to shake his hand. He's got no hand. Just a chopped off bit on the end of his arm. It was the most awkward moment as I went to shake his hand. He got, and then he got his, slapped me with his stump and goes, I love scaring people with the old stump. <laughs> and uh, David had not been born with a right hand. And, uh, but it, it did, his disability did not define his life. He was married, three kids, great pastor of a great church. It wasn't defining his life. And so here we have a story of a guy, it doesn't say his name was George or Brian or Bruce, it says the man with the withered hand, and he's in the synagogue, and I reckon he's been to the healing lines, he's wanted to see a miracle, and he's heard what Jesus has done, he's got this withered hand, uh, this shortcoming in his life, and Jesus comes to the synagogue, and I reckon there's an argument in his mind, I hope he prays for me, because I heard he can heal people, but oh, I don't want to be made a fuss over, I don't want to be made a spectacle of, and there's this, so he doesn't sit on the front row with a Hawaiian shirt, he sits about mid-range back there, and, and then Jesus comes, and it's time for him to get behind the lectern, and, and what does Jesus do, does he go to the prophets, no, uh, what does Jesus do, does he go to the Psalms, and meek, mild, loving Jesus, what Jesus does in front of everybody, you, with the withered hand, step forward, I'm amazed at how confrontational Jesus is sometimes, he wants to just blend into the crowd and Jesus picks him out and identifies his weakness in front of everybody. And you know what's amazing? Right there and then he has to make a decision. Do I respond to the voice of Jesus? And there's a whole lot of voices going on in his mind. There's a voice of the enemy saying, that's stupid, that's, that's ridiculous, that's dumb. He just wants you to step forward so he can ridicule you and, and people will laugh at you. That's the voice of the enemy. You, want the, you know, say, but how do I know the enemy's speaking? It's negative. It's, gonna, it's pulling you down. And then there's the voice of self-doubt. Well, you've been for this thing before. What happens if you step forward and nothing happens? And then he's thinking, well, what happens if I step forward and something happens? It's the voice of self-doubt. But then there's always the third voice. That's the voice of the crowd. Well, if you step forward, what's everyone going to think of you? Are they going to laugh at you? Are they going to make fun of you? What are they going to say about you if nothing happens? And that's the, the voice. The crowd quite often will hold you back from your destiny. The crowd quite often speaks of mediocrity and averages and the lowest common denominator. So I'm so glad that this man does not listen to the voice of the enemy. He doesn't listen to the voice of his own self-doubt. He doesn't listen to the voice of crowd. He listens to the one voice that really matters, the voice of Jesus. And the Bible says he steps away from the crowd and he takes a step forward to Jesus. And now everyone's focused on him. You know, the first step is always the hardest step of obedience. 
And when Jesus asks you to take a step in a certain area, it might be business, it might be family, it might be your finances, it might be serving in the church. Quite often, the crowd does not go with you. Being obedient to Christ is quite often the most loneliest place to be because now he's one step in front of the crowd and the crowd's behind him. But you know what's awesome about it? When Jesus speaks a second time, he's one step closer to Jesus and one step away from the crowd. So it's easier to hear and respond the second time. And then Jesus says this, he says, stretch out your hand. You know what I love about this story? Because Jesus doesn't, doesn't ask him to stretch out his greatest strength. Jesus asks him to stretch out his greatest vulnerability and greatest weakness of his life. And the Bible says, not before, but as he stretched out his hand, it was made as whole as the other. I'm so amazed. In my years of being a pastor these last 28, many, many times, 28 years, many, many times, God's spoken to people to step forward from the crowd and to stretch out of maybe the most vulnerable, weakest part of their lives. And God does something absolutely amazing as they step out in faith. Step forward, stretch out. What's God challenging you to step forward and stretch out? And well, God, I don't know if we can really buy that home or give that offering. Step forward, stretch out. I don't know, God, if we, well, if we can see that happen in the life of our city. Step forward, stretch out. Have you noticed God always asks us and God always gives us impossible dreams? Because we need His partnership to absolutely accomplish them. Many years ago, and we we're about to have our second child. We were believing for some things financially in our lives. If you go to the mirror in our bathroom, we had a little prayer list praying for the visa to be paid off, praying for a new car because our little Corolla was just not big enough for two car seats in the back and we were having problems with it. And, and, I, and I had a beat up old Falcon. And, uh, and then I had, and then the third thing was we pledged the amount of money to the building fund at church, a miracle building fund. And, um, and so I was praying about this every day. We were agreeing about it. And, and one day uh, the board... Uh, one of the board members called me in the, and the general manager and said, look, Paul, you've been doing such a good job. I was, when I was at Garden City and they said, oh, Paul, we're going to give you a lease vehicle, a brand new car. I was pumped. I was about 28. I'd never had a new car before. I was like, this is awesome. I'm dreaming about donuts in the car park. It was going to be a Holden Commodore. I was just so excited about it. And then I started thinking, wow, God's answered my prayer. I can sell my Falcon, which is probably worth about 10 grand. I can sell Joe's Corolla, which is worth nothing. And I can buy her a better car for the kids coming. I probably pay some of my visa off. This is awesome. God's answered my prayer. I was so excited. And that night I went to a Youth Alive meeting, which I was chairing. And we were talking about this uh, rally coming up. And as I'm talking about this thing, the Lord starts speaking to me. See, see that ugly youth pastor over there? You need to give him your Ford Falcon. I'm like, that get behind me, Satan. That's not God. I said, God, you've already solved my financial problems. Why are you asking me to give him my car? All through the night, this is what God's saying. Give him the car. Give him the car. I'm talking through this meeting, and all I can see is this ugly youth pastor sitting in front of me in a circle of pastors, and God's saying, give him the car. So I didn't say anything. I drove home, and I told Joe that night. She said, well, that's definitely got to be God because you ain't that generous. And... Uh, and she says, but, but Joe's a bit wiser than me. She said, well, it could be one of your pizza dreams, so why don't we wait a whole week? It was a Monday night. She said, why don't we wait till after Sunday, and if we still feel God's telling us to give this guy a car, let's do it. So I'm like, okay, I'm telling you, I'm dreaming about this ugly youth pastor all week. I'm driving down the M1 freeway to the Gold Coast, and the Colgate sign morphs into this ugly youth pastor's face. And God goes, give in the car. And I start arguing with God. I'm saying, God, what about if I sell the car, keep some cash for myself and give him cash? Everybody loves cash better than a Ford Falcon. And I started to bargain with God. And God's saying, no, I didn't ask you to do that. I asked you to give in the car. So I'm dreaming about this all week. So finally, we get to Sunday after church. We're driving home after church. And I said, 
said to Joe, you know, what do you think about this car? She said, Paul, I, I can't handle it anymore. I've had dreams three nights in a row about that ugly youth pastor. We've got to give him the car. So on that Sunday afternoon, I took it down to a detailer. I got it all cleaned up. And then on the Monday, I gave this guy a call. I drove down to where he lived and said, hey, pastor, uh, God spoke to me at that meeting last week and said, we've got to give you this car. Here's our car. He starts crying. His wife starts crying. My wife, she always cries. And I'm crying because I'm giving him the keys of my car. He's the keys of my car. And he's like, Pastor Paul, he said, this is amazing. He's crying. He said, why? He says, we've been praying for this make, model, and color for four years. And I'm thinking, I nearly didn't do it. He goes, this is amazing. He said, funny thing is, when you were speaking that Youth Alive meeting last Monday, the Lord spoke to me and said, you're going to give me your car. I'm like, wow. I drove away from that place in our little Corolla. And it, I was actually so moved. I said, it felt so awesome to obey God 100% radically. And as I was driving away, the Lord said to me, if you keep in this obedience to me, I'll provide for every family need and every ministry need. Well, the next day, I flew off on a mission trip to Malaysia. And the second or third day I'm there, Joe rings up and she's crying on the phone going, so, I'm so happy, I'm so happy because only women can do two things at once. And she's on the phone there and, uh, and she says, you wouldn't believe it. Somebody drove into our driveway from church today and gave us a nine-month-old brand new car. I said, no way. She said, it's beautiful, Paul. It's big enough for the car seats. I'm like, this is amazing. At the end of the week of ministering in Malaysia, most of the time we go there, we give money away. And as I'm driving to the airport, the businessman from the church, a Chinese businessman, goes, Pastor Paul, I had a dream about you last night. I said, really? And he gave me a red envelope. I want to encourage you. If you have any Chinese friends and they give you a red envelope, take it in Jesus' name. I got on the plane. I'm flying back to Australia. I count the amount of money. It's the exact amount of money I pledged in the building offering for church. So the next Sunday, I drove to church in my new little car. I put the miracle money in the offering. Bam. It was a good day. And as I'm walking out of church, a Greek businessman in my church, he goes, Pastor Paul, I had a dream about you. I said, really? Come into my office. <laughs> Seriously. And he wrote me the first check for $50,000 for evangelism in our city step forward stretch out step forward stretch out step forward stretch out what are you stepping forward in today fourth thing about faith is this we need to have persistent faith persistent faith sometimes in this generation we are so instant we sit there with something in the microwave tapping our foot because it's 40 seconds is too long we live in that generation. You know, older people, older Pentecostal would say, well, we had tarrying prayer meetings. We would just keep on praying till the weight was lifted. And in the generation that we live in, everything is instant. Oh, my download speed's too slow. I'm moving to another city. It's crazy what people will do. They want things instantly. But we've got to realize God's old. God's the ancient of days. God is slow, but he's always on time. And he's not walking to our plans and our timing because his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. I remember one time complaining to God about something and why it hadn't happened in the time frame I wanted when he promised it to me. And I remember having this argument with God and God said to me, I just had it rebuked by God. He said, since when did I have to consult you about your life? Did you create the heavens and the earth? Did you die on a cross at Calvary and shed your blood? Since when? Just be obedient to what I've asked you to do. See, we think success in life is how much money we get. Success in life is the fame that we get and all these, these social media generations. Well, I've got to be famous. It's like nothing. 
It's like the wind, it blows and then it's gone. But God's idea of success is obedience to what he's asked you to do. Not what he's asked your neighbor to do. So if God tells me tomorrow to resign my church and go up to Arakoon and serve the Aboriginal people in that community for the rest of my life and only one person gets saved, but that's what God asked me to do, then I have been successful in my life because I've been obedient to what God's asked us to do. But if God asked me in Brisbane to raise a church of 10,000 people and I go hide like Jonah on a, on a Pacific island and spend my life ministering to a little community, but it's not what God's asked me to do, then I've been unsuccessful. What has God asked you to do? In Luke 18, 1 to 18, I won't read it for time's sake, but it's an amazing story about the persistent widow. You know this story. It says that she wanted justice for her children, but there was an unjust judge that neither feared God nor man. And she started, she just was persistent, I want my justice. So he'd be driving out of his driveway in the morning, his BMW Series 5 on the way to work in Brisbane, and, and she'd be there with a little granny trolley going, I want my justice. He'd be in the law courts there in Roman Street in Brisbane. He'd come down with his buddies there on their suits in the beautiful a la carte restaurant there in El Fresco area. And he, the, the judge who never feared God or man would look across the restaurant and there would be that granny. She was ruthless. She was persistent. And the Bible says that the man who neither feared God nor man gave her her justice. How much more does your heavenly father want to give good gifts to you, to those who ask? I want to challenge you tonight, Christians. If God's given you a promise, don't give up. Be persistent. Keep on praying. The devil's not cheering you on when you get a word from God. He's going to oppose you at every moment. Be persistent. The promises of God are yes and amen. Pray, 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 pray. I, I used to, I get, I, I've been a pastor now 28 years. I'm amazed at how God answers the prayers of new Christians nearly instantaneously. And as we grow in our faith, it seems to just take a lot longer. I don't understand it. It just seems to be a fact of life. I love little kids because they're incredibly persistent. They wear you down. They're relentless and asking you for things. Mum, I want a car. Mum, I want a bike. I want this. It just keeps going on and on for the rest of your life. Kids are persistent. They will wear you down. But we're God's kids. So much more should we be persistent and asking God. Asking God. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open unto you. You know, Caleb was 40 years of age when he entered the promised land him and Josh said yes we can take it and because of the negativity of others he went into the wilderness for 40 years he did nothing wrong he was full of faith and obedient to God but 80 years later when now they're in the promised land again it says he went and got his mountain he ran into battle as fast and fighting as furious as a young man and he received that thing that promised that God had promised him 40 years before what prophetic words, what scriptures, what dreams for your family are still unfulfilled and maybe you've given up on them. Come on, stir up that gift of God. Get that scripture out. Get that promise out. Begin to pray over it every day and agree with God. When my wife was about 21 years of age, she was uh, diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. And when we got married, she was, uh, I think, 24. I was 23. And probably the second year into our marriage, she just had this massive attacking her body with uh, rheumatoid arthritis. She was working in the advertising industry and there was this period where she couldn't go to work for three days. She literally couldn't move her hands or feet and her arms. She was like a crippled person. And so we started going to the specialist in Adelaide and he put her on drugs, anti-inflammatories, and, and he, she went on this two or three year process. And she improved in her health, but the drugs were so 
powerful. They started affecting her health. Then she finally, after three years of going this course of drugs with the arthritis specialist, he called her into the office and said, Joanne, I just need to speak some facts to you. He said this, he said, you know, if you keep on going at this process, you've got a body like a 60-year-old and you're 27 years of age. He says, you're going to be in a wheelchair by the time you're 35, so don't have kids, you won't be able to look after them. And if you keep taking this medication, you're going to go blind by the time you're 40. And you're going to have no stomach lining because of the drugs are so heavy. So this is your diagnosis. I'm giving you the facts. Well, I'm telling you, the facts were real. And my wife went into, my wife's a pretty strong person. She's a very faithful person. But she went into a spiral of discouragement. I remember coming home from work that day trying to encourage her. It didn't matter what I said. Husbands know what I'm talking about. You try and say something. Well, you're just saying that because I love you. Of course I'm saying it because I love you. It's a no-win situation. I'm trying to encourage you. Trying to, the words are getting no traction in her life. And this went on for two or three weeks. And she was in agony. She was in pain. She couldn't walk. It would take about to midday for her body to warm up so she could get out of bed. And she was like a, she was like a very, very old person in this, tiny, this young body. And it was just crippling her life and discouraging her spirit. Until one day her mum came around. She was doing some cleaning. And she'd found an old diary from a camp uh, when she was about 19 or 20. And she brought it around for her to read. And I came home one day and something had changed in the atmosphere because she'd read this diary about how God had given her promises that she was going to preach around the world that she's going to have a house full of boys and sons and all these things and she began I came home one day and something had changed and it was, wasn't the physical condition it was the attitude and spirit on the walls were scriptures and promises and dreams that she had she put them up on big pizza butcher's paper and something began to happen she began to challenge that circumstance so she began to get into the place of prayer and said no God you said I'm going to have children I'm going to have a household of sons God you said I'm going to preach and my wife still has rheumatoid arthritis she doesn't take any medication there's days when she has better days than others but she's definitely not in a wheelchair she we've got great teenage sons and she's doing things for god but you know what? sometimes you've just got to fight and you've got to be persistent and don't just roll over when the troubles of life come you've got to be a person of persistent faith god's promises are yes and and lastly tonight the fifth attribute of faith is this God wants each one of us to be people of great faith. I believe great faith is found in small steps of faith. Great faith and miracles come sometimes from seemingly insignificant opportunities or inconveniences. Let me read you the scripture, Luke chapter 17, verse 5 and 6. And the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. So the Lord said, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be pulled up by the roots and it'll be planted by the sea and it would obey you. I want to encourage you tonight. It only takes a little seed of faith to see God move. Romans 12.3, the Apostle Paul tells us that God's already given each one of us a measure of faith. See, I don't believe how it's a measure of how big or small your faith is. God gives us that measure. Because the faith as small as a busted seed is incredibly powerful. And we always say, God, increase our faith, increase our faith. No, no. Reinhard Bonnke's got big faith. Who would agree with that? Billy Graham had big faith. It's not a matter of how big or small your faith is. We should stop praying or increase our faith. We need to pray, Lord, help me exercise the measure of faith you've already given me. Because even the faith as small as a mustard seed is powerful. The book of Hebrews says that without faith, it is impossible to please God not without prayer not without worship not without word not without even holiness without faith it is impossible to please God my old senior pastor Mrs Evans used to say God is only limited by a man's faith and prayer 
Smith Wigglesworth said, anyone can be ordinary, but it takes faith to be extraordinary. I love what Brian Houston said about faith. He says, optimism ignores the facts. Hope challenges the facts, but faith transcends and supersedes the facts of life. Because the facts are, you are sick. You can't put your, hand, your head in the sand and go, I'm not sick, I'm not sick, some kind of hyper. If you're sick in bed and you've got the flu, you're sick. But faith says, by his stripes, I am healed. The facts may be your finances are not in a good place. But faith says... Nothing is impossible to God. All things are possible to those who believe. The facts are you may have unsafe family and unsafe friends. But faith says, for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. The facts are right now you're facing a giant, you're facing a mountain. That's the facts. Well, faith says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens. We don't ignore the facts. We embrace the facts, but faith transcends the facts of life. Your facts may be right now you're in a very lonely season of your life, but the faith says, but God shall never leave you nor forsake you. The facts may be you've gone through that divorce and you felt rejection in your heart, but faith says, Nothing can separate me from the love of God. The facts are right now you're living in a fearful moment in your life. But faith says, for God has not given me a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. The facts are you may have a broken heart. But faith says, Jesus said, I came to heal the brokenhearted. The facts are you may be suffering from bondages and addictions in your life. But faith says, Jesus said, he's come to set the captives free. The facts are you're struggling for vision in your life right now but faith says Jesus said I will give recovery of sight to the blind the facts are you may have a low self-esteem but faith says my grace is sufficient for you my strength is made perfect in your weakness the facts are you're struggling for purpose in this season of your life but faith says for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper you plans not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future the facts are you may be suffering from guilt from the decisions you've made in your past but the faith of God says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus all things have passed away behold all things have become new the facts are you've sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God but faith says if we confess our sins he is faithful to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. the facts are you may be overwhelmed by the circumstances of your life right now but let me declare in faith the same Holy Spirit that rose Christ from the dead is alive inside of you The book of Hebrews says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. And I want to encourage you tonight. Your Christian walk is a faith walk. And I've realized this. I was saying to someone this morning. God's high in obedience and low on detail. Says to Abram, go take the people. Doesn't even tell them where. He's got 500 of his whinging relatives saying, Abram, when are we going to get there? He doesn't even know where he's going. But quite often, God doesn't give you the end destination because if you knew the end destination, you'd be too fearful to take the first step. He just gives you one step at a time and you take that step in obedience and you can take it. But we like, so God, well, I'll do that, God, if you show me all these things are going to happen. How's this going to work? We want to know all the details and God's low on details, but high on obedience. And I want to encourage you to there's people here, God's been speaking, if the musicians could come, about taking some steps of faith in your life. And what's the big blockage is that you want to know all the details and all the scenarios are going to happen if you take that step of faith. Well, that's not faith. Quite often, 
We need to plan and be good stewards of our time and good stewards of our money and good stewards of our family. But quite often there's just times where we've got to take a step of faith in obedience to what we feel God is speaking us to do. Step forward, stretch out. Step forward. But God, I feel so weak in this area. You're asking me to stretch out. And he stretched out that withered hand. And it was made as whole as the other. And he knew it was God and so did all the people. Because that was his greatest era of vulnerability and weakness. Could everyone stand to their feet all over this place? Firstly, tonight, I want to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Are you serving God in relationship with Him? Maybe once you were in relationship with Jesus, but you're a million miles away from God. But He's calling out your name as a prodigal son and a prodigal daughter, saying, come back in a relationship with me. Or maybe saying tonight, well, I'm not good enough to be a Christian. Nobody is. Just come as you are. Just come as you are. Because by faith you're saved. It's the gift of God, Ephesians says. So, but I don't know, how, can I be, how do I become a Christian? It's easy. It's a faith step. You pray a prayer. The book of Romans says, confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. Believe in your heart and you will be saved. It's the foolishness of man, but the power of the gospel. Because it's all by faith. Not by rules and regulation. You are saved by faith. Could everyone bow their heads and close their eyes? Tonight, if you'd like to get to know Jesus and give your life to Christ, or you've been backslidden a million miles away from God, but you need to reconnect with Him tonight, by faith, we're going to pray a prayer. And something's going to happen inside of your spirit. It's called becoming born again, restored in Him. With every head bowed and every eye closed, say, Pastor Paul, would you pray with me tonight? I want to give my life to Christ. I want to get my life right with God. I'm going to ask you to do something bold wherever you're standing. On the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying with. One, two, three. Thank you for your hand. Is anyone else who join this wonderful lady? Just looking across this auditorium. Say, yeah, would you join with that prayer? Thank you for your courage. Thank you for your courage, my young man. That's awesome. Anyone else join these two people tonight? Wonderful. You can put your hand down. Hey, I don't want these people to feel alone. Can we all pray this prayer with them tonight? Because the Bible says when one person prays this prayer, all heaven breaks out in a party for one person to come home. Can we pray, pray this prayer? Repeat this after me. Dear Lord Jesus. I come to you tonight and I ask you to be my Lord, to be my Savior, and to be my friend. Jesus, please forgive me of all my sin. Take away my shame. Give me a new heart and a new start. I want to follow you all the days of my life. I want to know you as my friend and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we praise God tonight? Thank God for those two people tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the beginning of something inside of your spirit. And after the service tonight, those two people, we want to talk to you personally, encourage you in that decision you made. God's got a plan for your life. But church, I love, I love preaching about faith because it's a life message within me. But I want to stir you tonight. There's a couple of areas that are going to open this altar. There's people here and you actually are in a desperate situation right now. And, uh, and there's someone here about business and it's a cash flow situation. And it's because of unpaid accounts. Some people have not been paying, not just seven days, 14 days, but there's someone, especially maybe three months, and it's strangling your business. And we're going to pray for a supernatural release of that. And also that double for your trouble, the devil's going to get, you're going to get payback from God from what the devil's trying to do to your business because you've always been faithful to God, faithful to God's house. And God wants to bless your business for your family's sake, but also bless 
the house of God as well. And, and, uh, and you come into a point of desperation, thinking, well, we're going to have to close the doors, we're going to have to do this or move places or whatever. It's been that point. We're going to pray for you in just a moment. There's other people here. I really felt the belief for jobs. I've been praying every week for the business people in our church and for unemployed people in our church. I've been pastoring in Brisbane as a senior pastor for 13 years. and the last three years, I've never seen so many good people out of work because of cutbacks or different things and we've been praying every week and and if you've been desperate for employment some people it's part-time employment working with your family other people it's a new job you're just really stuck in a place we think this is just not going well and and i want to pray for business people we're going to pray for you in just a moment if you're a business person or you're looking for a job would you just raise your hand wherever you are all over this place we're going to pray for you just a minute thank you don't be ashamed man every week we celebrate testimonies of jobs every week in our church just raise your hand wherever you are i feel there's some mums here looking for some part-time work to fit in with your life as well to help the budget and we're going to believe for that in a minute that is awesome you can put your hand down we're going to get a little bit desperate there's other people here that God's been challenged you to step out in obedience and it's like stepping forward and stretching out but you've been questioning in your mind but I'm not strong in that area there's somebody here that God's been speaking to you about parenting and marriages and helping people in the church you go well that's ridiculous I had trouble with parenting my kids well maybe you're the prime person that it can encourage others God's not after perfection he's after reality and authenticity and you're thinking, I've been so weak in my life. No, you used to be weak, but by the grace of God, you've become strong. And you need to share that story to others. You need to step forward and you need to stretch out. If you feel God's been speaking in some area of your life to, to be bold and to be obedient, step forward and stretch out. Would you just raise your hand all over this place? We're going to pray for you in just a moment. I don't know, it could be in business. It could be in your household. It could be in your finances. There's couples here and you've looked at your finances thought we could never buy a house. We're going to believe tonight that you're going to be able to step forward and stretch out for the glory of God. Amen. So many people raising their hands. There's other people here tonight. I just want to pray for also that, that there's been promises and dreams of God that have got dormant. Let me declare this over your life tonight. Delay is not denial in God's kingdom. I reckon Caleb got a few times discouraged for 40 years waiting for that promise to be fulfilled. We want things, God speaks to us, we want instantly. Joseph had a dream, he thought it was going to be a legend straight away. It took 40 years to become the Prime Minister of Egypt. Delay is not denial in your life. And I believe the Spirit of God wants to stir up that gift, that promise, that prayer. Like we prayed last night, kids away from the Lord, we're going to believe that they're going to come back to the Kingdom of God. Amen. In the name of Jesus. If you raised your hand for any of those areas or whatever, I just want you to come to the front. We're going to worship. We're going to sing that first song. What a wonderful name it is. And I want you to come for people also that feel, you know what? I'm going to be bold and courageous. I'm going to step out. Unfulfilled promises of life. I want you to get out your hand, whether you raise your hand or not. I'm going to fill this altar. We're going to worship for a moment. Then we're going to pray. I'm going to pray for an impartation of faith that you would step out and exercise the measure that God's given you today. Come on. Would you come out of this place? Business owners, you're seeking a job, maybe unsaved kids, unfulfilled promises. Come on. Would you fill this altar? Stay tuned for another exciting podcast brought to you by Bayside Christian Church.